Welcome to the KPB Podcast. This is your host, Ethan Gavon, coming to you from Sacramento, California. Keep Playing Baseball is a registered 501c3 nonprofit organization dedicated to helping every high school baseball player navigate the recruiting process and play college baseball. At KPB, we don't think money should dictate who has the opportunity to play college baseball or who gets to make informed decisions throughout the college baseball recruiting process. And all our resources, including this podcast, are 100% free. No signups, no fees, no strings attached. We use the KPB podcast in many different ways, but the main point is to get you the information you need to keep playing baseball. We appreciate you tuning in to the KPB podcast, the best source of recruiting information on the go. What's up, guys? If you're tuning in, then you already know this is the KPB podcast. And today we're excited to bring you a conversation with Colorado Rockies data and game planning coordinator, also a former big league infielder, Doug Bernier. Uh, Incredible baseball story, incredible baseball insight that we're going to bring you on this episode. Bernier is a native of California, and his, his baseball career included success at every single level of baseball. So after college baseball stops at Cuesta Community College and Oral Roberts University, Bernier started what was, and get this, a 16-year professional baseball career, which included four seasons in the majors and over 1,500 professional games. And this is after becoming an undrafted free agent signing with the Rockies. Uh, he turned what was what is normally a very short professional baseball career into a career that spanned over, uh, you know, the better part of two decades. So just incredible insight that we're bringing you from a great baseball mind, not to mention the fact that Bernier and his wife, Sarah, also generously give back to the game through their organization, probaseballinsider.com. Through that organization, they provide free instruction for young baseball players directly from professional baseball players who are giving back to the game and want to help the next generation of players make it to the next level. So uh, just an incredible resource. So we're excited to pick Doug's brain. He gives you insight into his baseball journey, what helped him develop consistency, routines, build his foundational skills. Um, And we also pick pick his brain about his time as both a professional scout and now as a coach with the Rockies. So without further ado, we bring you our conversation with big leaguer, Doug Bernier. Doug, thanks for joining us on the KPB podcast today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Ex- excited to be here. Yeah, we've got a we're working on a string of big leaguers in a row here. So excited to have you on. And um, usually what we do, we just jump in and we ask you to give a little bit about your background in the game and in your journey. Now, given your career, I know this might take you a while. So is it possible to have an abbreviated overview of your, your career? <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, so I grew up on the central coast of California. Um, that's where I, a small little town, Santa Maria. Uh, there was about 60,000 people when I was there. Uh, was there all the way through uh, high school. Um, after high school, I, I was on a pretty good high school team. We won the uh, 
the CIF playoffs, which is kind of like the, they, they divide the California, you know, Northern and Southern section. We were in the Southern section. We uh, won our state uh, section tournament when I was a junior. We had a good team. I was a pitcher back then, um, pitcher slash infield, I guess. Uh, from there, no scholarship offers. I went to a, a junior college, which is about 30 minutes north. Uh, from there, after my sophomore year, uh, I got a scholarship to play at Oral Roberts University, uh, Division One out in Tulsa, Oklahoma. After my senior year there, I did not get drafted. About three days after the draft, the Rockies called me, asked if I wanted to play as a non-drafted free agent. I was on a plane about three hours later and uh, ended up playing for 16 years uh, after that uh, with, with uh, parts of four different seasons in the major leagues. I was with the Rockies for six years, and I was with the Yankees for three years, Pirates for a year, Twins for three, and then finished with the Rangers uh, for two. And then uh, I stopped play- I stopped playing in 2017 and then became a scout with the Rockies. And now I have a, a little bit of a different role, kind of a major league data and game planning coordinator, um, but still, still with the Rockies. So that's kind of a real quick uh, version of – the whole story. The quick and dirty. Awesome. I mean, obviously you've had a ton of experience at every level, so can it definitely tap into that a little bit later, but take us back to Doug Bernier, the kid. Did you have big league aspirations? I mean, is this something that you really thought you would pursue or, or how did that come about? Yeah, I wanted to play professionally something. Uh, I, I loved sports. It didn't matter the sport. I played football, basketball, um, baseball, golf, tennis. I even ran track, even though I hated running. Um, but you know, I, so I, I just love being outside. I love playing sports. When I was younger, I would say probably like elementary school, I saw myself as a professional golfer or a professional baseball player. And I love both of those a lot. Um, so I always had dreams of, you know, kind of playing some sport for a living. I didn't know exactly which direction it would go. Um, but baseball was definitely a love from the very beginning. And so kind of going back to your, your recap. Now we've talked about your recruitment to college before we've talked about kind of your journey to the big leagues, but you mentioned that you were a hitter and then you were a professional player as an infielder. So talk about, you know, how that fit in with the recruiting process. Is that a change that's made? college or before college walk us through that yeah so in high school in kind of our small pond right our high school um I I was a pretty good pitcher you know um I I remember in my junior year I think I was 13 and 0 or something with like a sub one ERA senior year was about the same like I thought I was a pretty good pitcher and uh I remember going to area code tryouts and we all went up to Fresno State and I went as a pitcher and I was like, man, you know, if I'm good here, I'll be good. You know, and I felt pretty comfortable with myself. Well, first thing I noticed when I showed up was I was the shortest right-handed pitcher there. I was about 5'10", 5'11", maybe. Um, and I was the shortest guy there. So that was the first thing I noticed. And then I threw a bullpen and I was the softest tossing righty there. And I was like, this is not a good recipe if I'm the shortest and the softest tossing righty there. Um, and then I remember getting cut basically right after my bullpen. I didn't even get a chance because there's like two, I think two or three different cuts. And the first cut was before you even played an inter-squad game. And 
I was cut before I was even allowed to get on the field and play. Um, and that was a pretty humbling experience. It was like, wow, I thought I was better than I was. And then I, on that drive home, I, I was having, I, I had a lot of thoughts. It was like, all right, if I want to play at the next level, if I, if I want to play in college, which was basically my ultimate goal at the time, um, I have to make some adjustments because a five ten righty, you know, pumping 86 isn't going to go too far. Um, and so I, that, that's kind of when I made the decision that I'm going to start working a little bit harder on the infield, uh, just be, becoming an infielder. So then when you went to Cuesta, did you completely give up on the pitching then and focus solely on the infield or did they have you as a two way guy to start? My freshman year, I was a, I was a two way guy. I would come in and, you know, I, I would throw, maybe they might have me throw the seventh, eighth, ninth inning on occasion. Um, but for the most part, I kind of started to settle in as an everyday shortstop. Uh, I think things started to change for me. It was, it was right after the area code tryouts. It was, a, I don't know, maybe about a month later uh, during this in the summertime, there was a camp um, and it was just one of those, you know, three day camp type things. I, I actually didn't really go to a lot of camps, but for some reason, this is, I think I only went to maybe two my entire life, but this is one I went to. And there happened to be a former major league infielder there, Brad Wellman. And he, um, he was teaching infield completely different than anything I've ever heard in my life, you know, about how to footwork and glove position and body position and how to throw and all these things. Right. And it kind of just, it just kind of blew my mind. I was like, Oh my goodness. Like I've never heard of any of this stuff. And it was great. So you know how the camps work, you go from like a hitting station to an outfield station to an infield station. Well, me and him just kind of hit it off and I just stayed with the infield. I stayed with him the entire three days. And I basically just kind of kept working on, you know, a new group would come in. I would just keep doing the same skills over and over again. Then after the camp, I, I, you know, he hit me some ground balls and stuff. And I learned so much in those three days. It was like a crash course. And then from there, I was trying to take what I learned and, you know, apply it, use it in practice, use it, you know, on my own and just try to get a little bit better all the time. And, um, I think that's where the whole infield thing started to become real. And I started to get a little bit better noticeably, I guess. And then at Cuesta, just getting the opportunity to play, um, having coaches that were knowledgeable in baseball and could kind of help push me along as well, um, with the infield process. I feel like I got so much better those first two years at, uh, Cuesta junior college. And it, it allowed me to get better as an infielder and just an overall baseball player. And that was like the best move I ever made. I think that's really important information for this audience to hear. You know, we have a group of listeners, uh, driven high school players who are looking to play at the college level and possibly even beyond. And if I'm hearing you correctly, you're talking about a focus on the fundamentals, right? You're talking about a process that's going to help you grow as a player and make huge gains down the line. And the way that you do that is not the instant gratification that you hear a lot about, you know, the showcases or seeking that uh, big offer or living and dying on playing division one right away. But you're talking about putting in that sweat equity. You're talking about building a foundation of fundamental skills that over time and getting a little bit better each day, that's going to allow you to make huge gains over a long period of time and set you up for 
that big jump in skill that you might experience down the road. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah. I mean, I, I remember when I first went to junior college and I was so let down because I was like, because I, I really wanted to go to division one school. And, and I thought I was good enough at the time. And like looking back at it now, it was just bad self-evaluation. But I had friends that went to division one schools. And the only reason I got better and I felt like I was kind of a late bloomer anyway, but I think I was afforded the luxury of being a late bloomer because I was able to play in college where my buddies that played at, you know, more established, more well-known schools, they weren't playing. They were sitting the bench and they didn't get better. If anything, they got worse. And so being able to play every day and improve those skills, and especially at junior college where we didn't have the restrictions on practice time and stuff, at least back then. I mean, that was in, I don't know how things are now, but that was back in 2000, 2001. Um, but like, yeah, I mean, we, I mean, yeah, I was able to get a whole lot better just because I was playing every day. I was getting regular at bats. I was getting in-game work. I mean, that stuff is, that's how you get better, you know? And so even though at the time I was super disappointed, I look back at it now. It's like, man, that's the best thing I ever did. Yeah. And we talk about it all the time. There's many paths to division one baseball. Now you wanted to play division one baseball out of high school and you eventually got there. really good program. So talk a little bit about that transition from community college baseball to division one. It was, um, I feel like the biggest jump was learning how to prioritize my time. I, when I moved to Oklahoma, it was completely different, you know, being in California, my whole life going to Oklahoma, just different. Everything was a little bit different. Right. Um, but one thing I noticed early on was I had to, I had to prioritize just my time. Um, like when you're living at home in high school, right? Like your parents are kind of there to help you out, or you can kind of be at home and shield yourself away from, you know, going out or doing something on a Wednesday night or whatever. Right. Well, when you're in college, like you have to kind of be a little bit more self-disciplined. And I think I started to learn that when I went away. So, you know, we had weights at five in the morning. And so to be able to lift hard at five in the morning, I had to get a good rest. Um, and so like, there were times when I had to, you know, tell some of my friends, Hey, I'm not, I'm not going to go out to dinner tonight, or I'm not going to do this. Cause I got to work on my, my school. And cause I got lifting in the morning, you know, or, and then when I, and, and then, you know, and then also putting in the work for baseball, um, you know, along with also trying to find ways or find time to prioritize your, your studies. So it's like, you need to be a well-rounded, not just baseball player, but person, student, um, and, and trying to prioritize everything. And so that was kind of a big jump for me. Um, the level of competition I felt was better. Um, we were in like a, you know, a smaller school and the, and the competition we faced wasn't as good as like, you know, like the SEC schools and everything like that. But, you know, the, the competition was better. Um, but I think the biggest thing was the work ethic of the people that were there. Like every level I went up, I feel like there was a collective group of people that worked a little bit harder, pushed each other a little bit more. And that's what I noticed when I went out to Oral Roberts. Um, and so I felt like if that was the kind of person that you were, you kind of had that internal fire and you were able to push yourself, it was a great environment. And so it was, I thought it was really good almost like testing for me because I, I got a chance to um, be completely on my own, 
be around people. I, I went to a school where I knew nobody. So I just showed up and it was like, all right, let's figure this out. And I, I felt like it was just a great experience of like learning how to prioritize my time and, and work and everything like that. So it was a really good thing. So I don't, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but it sounds like that prepared you pretty well for the next step. Yeah, definitely. I, I feel like it did for sure. I mean, cause when you're, when you get to minor league baseball, I mean, you're in small towns, it can be lonely. You got long bus trips. Uh, it, you definitely don't have the, camaraderie as you do in college it's a whole lot different ball game and uh yeah you need to have that love that passion that drive and to be able to prioritize you know everything in a way um where you know the, the stuff that you really want to get done you prioritize that stuff first you know yeah great advice for those listening and i want to tap into that a little bit more cuz obviously you don't play 16 years in pro ball without being both really, really good and really, really consistent. So you talked about prioritizing things and how to learn where your priorities are. Um, can you dive into that a little bit more? I mean, how were you able to maintain that level of consistency for the better part of two decades? So what are, how do kids start building these habits and, and what are some of the things that you did to build these habits that uh, lasted for such a long time? I was always I was very focused. Very focused. Um, I've, I've been self-driven. I was never that guy that, you know, my parents had to tell me to go outside and hit or throw or do anything like that. Like I was out there doing it on my own. Um, and I think for me, I, I think I was always trying to find some sort of motivation piece or like a little chip or something to keep me going every single day. Um, and one thing I never forgot was I wasn't drafted, you know, and I felt like I had to prove myself every day. I mean, baseball is, especially minor league baseball, it's kind of a cutthroat game. It really is. Um, and if you're not, I mean, first rounders, a lot of times, second rounders, they get a little bit more publicity. They get a longer leash. So if they have a tough year, a lot of times they're given another opportunity, another chance. A guy like me who wasn't drafted, like usually us non-drafted guys last about a year. We're a filler piece. The only reason I was brought in by the Rockies is because one of our infielders wasn't signing right away. He was either holding out or just kind of wanted to take his time signing. And so they had a, they had an opportunity. They needed a, another infielder basically. So usually how it works is I'm holding the fort down until that guy signs. And once he signs, I'm out. Well, so I remembered that. And so like, I felt like in that, in that time I had to outwork everyone. I had to outperform. And and it wasn't only that too, but I felt like when it comes to that, like being a good teammate really helped me out and like actually caring for the people on my team and hoping that they did well and wanting them to do well. And I actually think that helped me. Um, so, but like, I guess being consistent was just working and just outworking people, working hard, um, working on my fundamentals and basics. Um, there's so many people that, you know, like they get, they get bored after a while, especially when you're playing baseball every single day, you know, you're on game 42, you've had two days off in the last two months and they just don't, they want to take a break. They don't want to take ground balls that day. They don't want to take batting practice. They just want to sit in their lockers and, you know, play with their phone or do whatever. Um, those are the days when you can really kind of elevate yourself and push yourself past others and I, I felt that like if I could work hard every day and look at myself in the mirror every single day and be proud of the effort I put in, 
the results, I feel like I could live with the results, good or bad. Um, and, and so that was, I think that was kind of the, I think that was kind of the, I don't know, mindset or, or you know, everything kind of behind the drive was just keep working, just keep out working. Like I might be progressing slower than others, but if I can continue to take one small step forward all the time and people notice that they might give me a little bit, uh, you know, a, a little bit of a leash and say like, man, it, you know what, maybe he struggled, but he's getting better every single year. And I, I think just that helped me stick around for quite a while. I hope the people listening at home can really grasp just how difficult and amazing it is to be an undrafted free agent signing and make it to the big leagues and have a big league career and and make a 16-year professional baseball career out of that opportunity. It's hard enough if you're a high-round draft pick to make to the big leagues, let alone having to overcome all the obstacles and, um, you know, like you said, constantly having a target on your back and knowing that if you don't perform you don't really have as much leash as some of the other people. And I'm wondering if you can speak to, you know, the attention to detail that that required and, and what, what were some of the routines that you used to stay focused and make sure that you were staying both healthy and and staying sharp throughout the season. So can you talk a little bit about what your day-to-day routines were like during the season to make sure that you were getting your work in and, and ready to perform? Yeah. So, from I feel like from day one, I, I had a pretty good routine going. It, it definitely changed as I got older. Um, I started to do a lot more, but took ground balls every single day. Um, I was a I was a guy that I came up as a shortstop, but I also had to play multiple positions. So I would play. I would take ground balls at the position that I was either playing that night or that or shortstop because shortstop. I feel like if you could play shortstop, you can play other positions. So I would take them at shortstop every single day. And then either the, another position I was playing often or something, I would go and take ground balls there. Or sometimes I would go take fly balls in the outfield. Um, you know, I, I, would, I made sure like all the little things, like I would, I would lift weights, I would run, I would stay in shape, I would stretch. Um, I would go out there early and just try to like move around a little bit. Um, all that stuff really, really helped me. I, I remember early on hearing that it doesn't matter how good you are sometimes but if you're not available to play like if you're injured if you're you know if if a coach can't really rely on you to play every single day then that can be an issue and I knew so many players that were extremely talented that had difficulty staying on the field Um, and I felt like that was one thing that I was very fortunate with was my injuries were very limited. And even when I I did have some nagging things, I was able to find a way to still play and still get on the field. Um, And so, yeah, so I I thought that was really, uh, yeah. So that, I guess that's just kind of the short, short answer, but some routines, like let's say, um, yeah, routines. uh, I was, uh, I I would go out there and I I would run sprints every day. I would uh, try to get my body up to top speed. I knew some guy, there were actually a lot of guys that would, they wouldn't run hard until they were trying to beat out a double play. And that would happen twice a month. And then they would pull a hammy, you know? So if I got my body used to running at top speed, you know, three, four times a week, at least before a game, then when I needed to call upon my body, it would be ready to go. Um, so just kind of like finding ways like that to prepare. I, I played long toss probably three days a week, just make sure I could air it out, make sure my arm felt comfortable and felt good. Um, you know, so just like 
things like that, like baseball, like being, I guess like baseball moves and everything is a lot different than just going out and running and being athletic and being in shape. Like you can be in a great shape, but once you put your cleats on and you're standing out there for five, six, seven hours, you know, you find out that you're not in the greatest baseball shape. So just trying to convert that into baseball shape and just trying to be creative, um, I, I think is, is helpful. I love hearing you talk about the preparation that goes into getting ready to play, because I think there's a misconception among a, a lot of younger ball players that, you know, they're trying to save their best bullet for the game, right? They're, they're trying to be fresh for the game, not understanding that you really need to have an understanding of where that top gear is, right? You can't expect to make a play in the game, throw a pitch in the game, if you haven't practiced that beforehand, right? If you don't know where those limits are. Um, and, and there's just so much that goes into preparing to have success. And there's so much work that goes, even as you mentioned, the day of getting ready to perform at a high level. I, real quick, I noticed too, like if my hamstring was barking a little bit, I would go out there and try to gradually run before the game, you know, or if my arm was, you know, barking a little bit, I would go out there and try to throw and go like nice and easy and gradually try to work it up. And doing that, I felt like kind of, I mean, I, I'm no doctor, I don't know what's going on, but I felt like I was kind of looping up my body, like everything started to loosen up a little bit. And then when the game happened, it wasn't quite such a big jump from like being cold and trying to rest it to like going max, maxed out, and then you blow something out, you know. So that was always like when I was hurt, and it was like I'd try to get out there early and try to like really gradually like work up to something. Well, we know it's so important for baseball players to have a good understanding of themselves, right? So what works for you might be a little bit different than what works from someone else. But I think it, everyone listening to this can grasp the idea that there has to be some sort of plan in place if you're going to consistently perform. So I love, love hearing that. Um, and I also know you probably faced your, your fair share of obstacles in adversity, right? So talk a little bit about your strategy for, uh, overcoming some of those obstacles and, and what you might've faced during your journey. I think you're just being positive, like being happy where I'm at. I mean, I get to play baseball for a living. Like how awesome is that? You know? And, and also too, like everyone in baseball has their share of stories. And so if I'm going to start bringing them up to people and be like, Hey man, like, woe is me. Like this is happening to me. No one wants to hear it. Cause everyone that's playing out there, even probably all the coaches out there have their own, you know, stories of just like where things are going against them. Right. Um, like I said, as a, I was a non-drafted free agent, it took me 11 years to actually start an opening day um, in the minor leagues. And I got to the big leagues after six. So even the year after I got to the big leagues that next year, uh, I wasn't starting the next opening day. Um, the year 2013, I was, I, I had a great triple a season uh, i was in the big leagues for over a half a season and then the very next year i was on the bench to start game one and so i think just realizing that hey it's a long season it's a marathon everyone has these stories but if you can just be positive and happy and like just be like all right keep that focus and keep working and you will get that opportunity everyone's opportunity is different some people have a lot of opportunity and some people's opportunity is really, really small, 
but you're going to get it. And when you do get it, you need to do something with it. And so I think that was kind of always my, my, my mentality and my thought was like, maybe I'm not starting opening day, which happened quite often, but many, most years, actually, once I did get in there, I didn't come out. Like I stayed in there and the person that was starting was now on the bench. And so I think it was just kind of that, you know, that, that, that mindset of like, Hey, I'm good. My opportunity will come. Just be ready, be positive, be a good teammate and then go from there. Yeah. Makes me think of the the saying that we hear quite a bit work while you wait. Right. Mm -hmm. It's, and I always tell my players, the only thing I know is that the lineup at the beginning of the season is going to be different than the lineup at the end of the season. So if you can focus on what you can control, then, you know, when you get your shot, you're going to be ready and you're going to make the most of it. So Mm -hmm. that's awesome. Um, Talk a little bit about your off seasons. What, um, what did you do to stay sharp? I mean, we're in a really obviously strange time right now where we have this off season in the middle of what would be, a regular season. So what did your off season look like and what are some things that players at home kind of waiting for things to open back up can do right now? Well, off season, I I was pretty regimented when it came to my off season. I I think a lot of times too, I was just itching to get back and do something. Like I don't like to sit around and, you know, get lazy too much. So like, I I think I like to go out there and just be outside and do things. Um, But what I would usually do, I guess, typical off season, I'd take about a month off. Um, I would start getting back into lifting after about a month, um, that, you know, that month off, I'm kind of just trying to rest my body. There's aches and pains. There's all that. So just kind of let my body recover. Um, I'd start lifting four days a week, probably start running, you know, a couple days a week, gradually increase the running a little bit. Um, my throwing, I actually felt there were times when I would, cause during the season you throw a lot and then I would just take like a month or two off cold Turkey and not throw. And then when I was trying to come back, my arm just took a long time to get back into shape. So what I eventually did was I would throw twice a week. Um, it, it, as soon as the season was over with, I would still kind of maintain a throwing program. I would throw probably twice a week, 20 balls at like 50%, but it, it like kept my shoulder loose a little bit. And I would do that for probably about two months month and a half. And then I would start to gradually, you know, start an actual throwing program with a partner or something. Um, and then I would hit usually probably middle of October or so. I kind of just hit off a tee for a while. And then basically November I'd be out there hit, you know, taking batting practice, doing flips, doing that. And then as the season approached, I would start to work on more things like, you know, working at different positions, double plays. Uh, I would bunt a lot. So, I mean, I felt like bunting helped me. I'd I'd go and, you know, crank up a machine really fast and just work on my bunting skills um, and and do that. Um, And I would do, you know, 30 minutes, 40 minutes a day doing that, you know, four days a week. Uh, One thing that really became helpful, um, especially probably the last five years or so, I bought one of those pitchback nets and I could do it in the garage. So I'd get on my knees and I would just throw a ball off the pitchback net and I'd work on my, you know, just fielding a baseball. I'd work on my routine, forehand, backhands. I would do a couple hundred a day uh, for each side, um, put some music on, you know, just kind of make it relaxed, but really kind of focus on making sure I catch the ball right, get the ball into my throwing hand. I could get a lot of reps in in a short amount of time. And especially um, when, when we moved out to Colorado, I was able to do that in the garage. Um, you know, and so just trying to be creative, 
work on your baseball skills as well as overall strength and, and um, you know, just kind of staying in shape. That's the secret sauce right there. Because mm-hmm. if, if my research was correct, you never made an error in the big leagues. You no, I didn't. I, I didn't. I didn't, which I'm pretty thankful about. There's, there's nothing worse than making an error defensively. And so, yeah, I was pretty fortunate I didn't make one up there. Yeah. So again, great stuff because a lot of people are stuck at home right now or they're under restrictions. And if you have a wall in your garage and a tennis ball or a pitch back net or whatever it is, there's a lot of ways to get worked. So that's great. Let's, let's talk about the big leagues a little bit. Did you have a kind of a welcome to the big leagues moment where like I've, I've made it? I think my first experience was really, really short. So I don't know if it really happened that time. I mean, I think when I showed up, 2008, I got called up with the Rockies. I was only up for four days. Um, but I remember when I got there, I remember Todd Helton was the first guy I saw. He gave me a big hug, said he was glad to see me. So that was a really cool thing because it's like, man, when the superstar of the team kind of brings you in, you feel like you can kind of settle in a little bit more. Um, so even though it was like short-lived, I felt like it was a really um, – that, that was a really cool thing. Um, but then I, I got back in 2013, and that's where I spent a decent amount of time up there. And I remember um, – my first hit was an RBI double in, um, in Anaheim. And I remember thinking when I got to second base, it was like, wow, I, I, you know, like it it just kind of like the thoughts, like I finally got here and I finally actually contributed. (laughs) I actually did something on the field, got a hit, scored a run, you know, drove in a run. Like it was a really good feeling. And I, I feel like at that point I was able just to kind of like relax, take a deep breath. And it's like, wow, like I, I'm, I'm actually here. Like, this is pretty cool. And so I remember for like, you know, after I got to second base, I kind of looked around and it was kind of neat just to see some family and friends around, but it was just like, that point was kind of the time where it's like, wow, I'm, I'm actually here. Like, this is actually a real thing, you know? So that was, that was a big moment for me. Awesome. Yeah. You mentioned, you know, Helton giving you that, that welcome moment. Are there any players or, or coaches, um, who really took you under their wing or, or anyone who gave you some really good advice that really helped you out? Yeah, I had a lot. I was very fortunate. Um, I mean, Mike Gallego, uh, infield coach. He's now with the angels. He was with the Rockies. Awesome guy. That guy was, I felt like that guy had my back as a coach, like for, for so long. Um, he taught me so many good things. Gene Glenn, who, I was, uh, he was my manager when I was, uh, in triple a with the twins. Awesome guy. He's one of those guys that really, really cared. Um, and so he gave me a lot of advice and helped out. I feel really fortunate. Like I got a lot of really good coaches that helped me out along the way. Um, obviously each one kind of has, they do things differently and, you know, you kind of take bits and pieces from each guy. Um, but I think that's what helps create like your well-roundedness as a player is being able to kind of take bits and pieces from each, each person that help suit you, you know? And, um, yeah, no, so I, I feel very fortunate. Um, uh, and then player wise, I mean, that, that from Todd was awesome. Ryan Spielborgs. I don't know if you know him, but he's a, he's a, a announcer now with the Rockies. He's, I, I kind of grew up with him. He grew up in Santa Barbara. We're the same age. We came up through the Rockies together and he was always a guy that was very encouraging, very baseball driven, like awesome guy. He was, he was um, awesome when it comes to that. Um, Tory Hunter was a, he was a guy when, when I was with the twins, he was a guy that I saw firsthand just completely change the landscape of a clubhouse. Now 
Minnesota's clubhouse was, there was nothing wrong. He was fine and everything, but he was just kind of that natural born leader. You know, like there's some guys that just have it right. That can just bring people together. And he was that guy. And so kind of having that, like having that around, I, I thought was really cool. So he was, he was a guy that was kind of a, he, he was a, uh, I feel like a real special player in my eyes was like, man, this guy is more than just a baseball player. This is a, a leader. And I felt like he's a guy that I learned a lot from and benefited a lot from just being around. Very cool. And when your playing career ended, when you retired, you, d- you transitioned to a scouting role with the Colorado Rockies. Obviously your playing career gives you the experience to be a tremendous evaluator of talent and see guys who have made it. So if you can put your scouting hat on, what are some of the things that you're looking for as a scout that lets you know, Hey, this guy's got a a chance to be special or this guy's got a a chance to make it. Well, what I'm looking for first off, I mean, I mean, a player has to have tools, right. To be able to get to that next level and to be able to stick, like they have to be able, they have to be good enough in something. They have to have one tool that as a scout, you can kind of hang your hat on. Um, but also more than that, I like to look deeper. I mean, kind of like what I said about Torrey Hunter, like he was that guy that was, he had other attributes that maybe don't show up on the, I mean, he was obviously, he's a unbelievable player, but he had some other skills too, that you don't write down normally, right? Like leader and, you know, he bring people together, things like that. Well, I, I remember as a scout, I would get to the field early. I would watch how players would interact with each other. I would watch how players would come out of the the clubhouse onto the field. I would look at their work ethic, look, look at what they did when they didn't think people were watching. Um, I tried to get there right when the players did. And I would just sit there and wait for people to come out and just take notes on things and see what I could see. Um, so that was something so intangibles. Yes, that was, that was big. I mean, clubhouse culture now is bigger than it ever has been. And I've seen firsthand how important that can be. And also you look at the Washington nationals. I mean, they won the world series last year unbelievable like just watching them in the dugout throughout the playoffs was like man this looks like the most fun dugout clubhouse group of guys ever right and I I think there's something to that um so yeah so that was one thing I looked at when it comes to intangibles tool wise show what you can do um I think this was something I didn't realize until I was behind the net and became a scout but like there's times when I would go watch a team for five days. Right. And I would keep hearing, you know, guys talk about, Hey, this guy can really, really run. And in five days, I didn't see the guy run. And it's like, if that's his best tool, I, I need to see that. Right. Cause I I'm here to try to help him really. If you think about it, he's not just playing for the team he's on. He's playing for all the other teams as well. But if I don't see his best tool, how can I put it in? Right. And so that, I think that was a big thing for me. I remember when I first got into it, I saw some of my old scouting reports that were put on me and a lot of them were uh, not all of them, but there were, there were a few that were below, below average arm strength. And I knew I had at least average arm strength and maybe slightly above. And, and I started thinking about like, there were a lot of times when I, I got used to just kind of flipping the ball over to first base and not really showing off my arm. And I think that that's something that, Everyone needs to think about, okay, what are your tools? What do you do really well? Make sure that other people know when they leave the stadium what you can do well. Um, And and I I think too many people try to hide those. Um, And then also just effort, man. You got to play with effort. I mean, so many guys, I'm seeing so much, so many guys like 
you know, runner at first base, ground ball to short, double play, and they have an opportunity maybe to beat it out, but they're only going 50% down the line or they don't touch first base or something. It's like, oh, like it's easy to put in the effort when things are going well, but what are you really doing when things aren't going well? Because baseball is a roller coaster, right? And like, if I'm putting my name out there for you, I need to be able to trust that when things aren't going well, that you're not just going to throw in the towel. And so effort effort is a huge thing. So even though there are tools that sometimes are not always in our control, you know, obviously we want to have more power. We want to be faster. Sometimes those, we have a limit on those, right? But the effort level, that's something that we can, we can control. We can put in more effort than anybody. We can work harder than anyone. We can be a good teammate and those things show up. And that's what scouts are looking for those things. I know they're not maybe the first thing, right? Like a guy's not getting drafted first overall because he's a good teammate or anything. I understand that. But if you're level with one other person, which happens a lot, and you have these extra attributes, they're going to keep you around a little bit longer. And so those are some things I look for as a scout. Yeah. As I'm listening to you, I'm, I'm thinking about our audience and the lens, uh, thinking through this, through the lens of a college coach is doing exactly the same thing you're talking about. And so many of the things that you just said hit the nail on the head. If, if you think about the pool of players, as a high school player, if you think about the, the pool of players that you are competing against for roster spots and that college coaches are looking at, you're going to have many players who have a very similar skill set to you. And what's going to get you that roster spot over those guys that throw just about as hard as you do and uh, hit the ball just about as hard as you do and, and run about as fast as you do. And, and it's everything you just talked about. It's showing your skills if you have a standout skills and making sure that they leave knowing that you can do that. It's showing effort. And, and really, it's the intangible things. Right. It's about being able to separate yourself from others. And like you said, like the, the talent pool gets, gets smaller and smaller as you work up. And it gets harder and harder to separate yourself, but you've got to find ways to do it. And sometimes it's really as simple as like putting effort out there, running hard down the line every time. I mean, I get it. You take a big swing, you hit it off the end and you hit a 12 mile an hour ground ball back to the pitcher. Like that stinks. Like I get it. But if you run hard to first base at that time, that does show, I mean, you don't need to pull a hammy running down there, but like give it a good effort down to first. Like that shows a lot to people that are watching in the stands. And also the reverse, like all it takes is one time you not running hard down the line, like you hit that ball and you just like don't even make it there or whatever, that that has an effect too. And, and oftentimes it's a real negative effect. Well, and measurables, right? I mean, I can't tell you how many times when I was recruiting as a college coach that I was there watching a player and I was just dying to get a home to first time, a quality home to first time, because I just wanted a more accurate measure of of speed something i could hang my hat on like you said and the the player would hit the ball to shortstop or hit a ground ball in the infield and he would run hard 90 90% of the way to first base and he would see that he's out and he would slow up and i wouldn't get an accurate time and and that's a difference maker that time can be a difference maker because if i'm comparing a pool of players that have very similar skills and i have a, a limited amount of time to go see them play but one player in that pool I see runs a, you know, a four flat to first base. And I know that they have legitimate foot speed. 
you know, that can be, that can be a huge difference maker. And so you just can't take anything for granted. And I want to ask you, obviously, scouting has changed a fair amount. Um, how, how are you using video as a professional scout? Are you looking at video as a substitute for seeing a guy play in person? Or how does that factor in? No, I, personally, I like watching a guy play in person. I think there's something that I, I think I think now with all the data, all the video, everything that's out there, I think to get a, a really good uh, like 360 degree view of a player, I, re, I still believe that seeing a player play in person is very important. Um, so. I guess, but with saying that, I like to use video as a supplement. So let's say I'm watching a guy pitch, right? And maybe, I don't know, like uh, I, I, I want to really watch his pitches over again, see what are they doing? What does it look like? Um, maybe he only, maybe I only saw him throw an inning and I want to see more. So I'll go back multiple games or I'll look at the data and see if anything pops out, right? Like maybe, you know, he's got real good spin rate or he gets a lot of swing and misses on a certain pitch. It's like, I want to go back and look at it and see kind of what he does or what he's doing. So it's kind of a way I feel like I can get a lot of information in a short amount of time. But again, I feel like seeing someone in person, it doesn't substitute it all the way. Um, because like, I, again, I like to be out there early. I like to see like how the person is and try to get an overall feel of what the, the player is as a person as well. Um, so, but like, I feel like the video is nice where like, if I see something in person, I can kind of hone in on something that I want to maybe highlight or magnify. And then I can kind of keep going over and watch. Maybe I can watch a guy swing. I can watch how a guy runs or, um, I mean, sometimes too, there's been times where I've watched a guy and I'm like, I just want to watch a little more video because it looked like maybe he was hurting a little bit, you know? And it's like, oh, maybe that's, maybe that's why he wasn't getting down the line very well, or maybe this or that. And so sometimes it's like, I could, I could see little things like that as well. So I don't think it was one specific formula, but it was just a way for me to highlight something that maybe stood out in the five days I was watching a, a, a team or a player. And it's like, I can just kind of highlight, highlight what I needed to. You already mentioned intangibles and I'm wondering if there's anything in a, a player's mental skill set or the way they viewed or talked about the game where, you know, if they had this trait or they had this vision that you knew, even if they had a, an average skill set, you know, that they were going to perform above what their physical ability was. Is there, I, I guess, um, you know, from the mindset and from the mentality of a, of a baseball player, is there anything as a scout that you would look for as an indicator that this guy's going to outperform his skills? I think sometimes it's kind of hard to see from a scouting side if you're only in town for five days. Um, but like, let's say now I'm just putting my playing hat back on. Like I'm sitting there and I'm with a, you know, with a teammate that I've been with all year. I feel like you can tell when a guy, I mean, cause we're all going to make mistakes, right? Everyone makes mistakes. And especially at the lower levels, you're going to make a lot more mistakes, but it's like, how do you, use those mistakes that you've made like are you learning from them are you getting a little bit better um you, you know are you trying to find little ways to maybe outperform the other team um i always like talking to guys that ha that were you know like hey maybe if i ran the bases like this i could uh you know steal a base maybe if my lead was uh, a half foot closer to the pitcher it might give the illusion that i was taking a smaller lead and i could get an actual extra 
extra half step and maybe steal an extra base or two on the year. Or um, maybe a one, one count is a great count for a delay steal. This catcher's always taking a knee or like you can tell, like when you talk to guys in the dugout that they're, there are guys that the wheels are turning and they're paying attention to the game and they're thinking. And those are the guys I feel like they're going to play above, above their, their talent levels because they're always trying to think, how can I get better? What can I expose from the people on the other team that maybe aren't paying attention? How can I, how can I find ways to beat the other, the, the opponents? And so I, I feel like just the guys that are paying attention, learn from their mistakes and are, are always trying to, find some sort of little edge just by watching the game or whatever. I feel like those are the guys that kind of continue to get better, even if it is at a slower pace. Just true competitors looking for that competitive edge. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about your current role in the Rockies organization as a coach, because you're no longer scouting and you have a a really interesting job. Um, What's the title and uh, what exactly does your new job entail? Yeah, so I'm uh, I'm with the Rockies. I'm the Major League Data and Game Plan Coordinator. Uh, so it's a lot of words, but basically what it is is I'm the kind of the middleman, the, the communication piece between the analytics department and the players and coaches. Um, and so what I'm doing is I'm taking the numbers, the analytics, everything like that, and making it into digestible pieces for the players and the coaches. Um, each player and coach has like a different language basically, right? Like you can kind of, some, some guys want a lot of information and are very well versed when it comes to like data and analytics. Uh, some not so much. So kind of trying to figure out what each person wants, what each person needs, how they're not going to be overwhelmed by data or if they are, you know, and, and be able to kind of just be able to find out what each person needs individually and be able to get them that. Um, you know, some people you can talk, you know, like all the analytical terms, they get that and that's how they like to talk. Some people you, you need to take all that and turn it into just baseball stuff. So if a guy's got good, you know, pitcher's got good spin, good spin efficiency, works at the top of the zone, maybe with a guy that wants no part of the data, it's like, hey, you know, this guy, he's got good carry, good hop on that fastball. He works at the top of the zone. You might word that differently than a guy when you can say, hey, you know, his spin rate's good and all that, you know, the, the Hopefully we get them thinking along the same path, but it's just the communication is going to be a little bit different. Um, and then also it goes the same way back from the players and coaches to the analytics department. So I'm, I'm trying to learn a bunch of different languages, I guess you can say, and being yeah. able to kind of communicate with everyone. Um, but that's kind of uh, where my role is right now. And, uh, but it's kind of, it's kind of unique too, because I'm doing that, but I'm also able to kind of, um, you know, just kind of help out where needed, you know, help coaches out in certain things, uh, you know, occasionally get on the field and hit some fungos or throw some batting practice too. So it's kind of a, it's kind of a cool, like uh, hybrid type coaching communication type position. It's a pretty cool little thing. Very cool. It's the future of the game. And you're like a, a Google translate for a million different uh, baseball languages and understanding the game. Um, what type of professional development experiences are you are you using to uh, to better understand this position and to, to get good at this position? Are you taking a deep dive into analytics? Are you, you know, do you need uh, to go back to school and get a PhD or master's in performance psychology? Or, you know, what are some of the tools and things that you are finding uh, most helpful for you being able to do your job well? 
Well, I'm still trying to figure it out because like, since this is a new role and right now the season hasn't really started yet. And uh, so I'm still trying to figure out exactly how it's all going to, uh, to filter in. Um, so kind of the first thing I'm doing, just working on just developing relationships with guys. Um, I think that's important. Uh, but when it comes to the analytical side, I think like just talking to our, our uh, you know, research and development, our analytics group a lot and trying to figure out, okay, what does this mean actually? Um, and, and then try to go back to my own like experience as a player and everything. Okay. What's important, you know, like, um, like for example, I think like exit velocity is a real big thing. Like how hard can we hit the baseball over and over and over again? Like if you can hit the ball hard, you're going to be successful at, at some point, you know? And so, um, you know, what maybe some people look for, I might be a little different. And I think each person kind of has their, I mean, since we're all humans here, you know, everyone kind of has their own little perspective on things. Right. Um, but like, yeah, so I, I think that's kind of where I'm starting, but I definitely think that everything will evolve in, in, over time. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, a lot of it is just talks with, you know, players that have a lot more knowledge of the analytics than I do or our analytics team and just trying to dive into that. And uh yeah. I mean, so that, that's kind of where I'm at right now, I guess. Um, yeah. And for the skeptics, you know, this type of stuff has always existed. We're just finding new ways to describe it and quantify it. We're not necessarily reinventing the wheel. We're just, or you're just trying to figure out how to relay the new information to the guys in the best format for them. Right. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's a, there's a lot of things I feel like that are, I feel like when you really get down to it, there's a lot of times like the analytics and then what like just old school baseball guys, I feel like sometimes we're not as far apart as you think. Um, you know, like I said, exit velocity, like, I think exit velocity is a big thing, right? Like how many guys have you heard throughout your whole entire lifetime when you were like seven years old, like just hit the ball hard, put the ball in the barrel and you'll be okay. Like same thing. It just explained a little bit differently. Now we're using it in miles per hour compared to just how hard can you hit the baseball? Um, so I feel like things like that are, um, you know, and, and you can find guys strengths through the numbers. Like sometimes the number, the numbers just like jump out. It's like, Hey man, like you do a really good job of putting the ball in play or, and you do a really good job of hitting this type of pitch or this, this spot in the zone or, or whatever. Um, and so I think that's good for the player development as well. I mean, when I know that, Hey, I hit the ball on the inner half of the plate better than I do on the outer half of the plate. It gives me more of an idea and approach. It's like, okay, that's good. That's good that I know that maybe now I'm going up the plate. I can look in this area because that's my hot spot. And I actually know a bunch of guys that thought their hot spot was one location of the plate. And then when they started looking at the numbers and everything, they're like, wow, I'm actually a better hitter on, you know, I'm actually a better low ball hitter than I am a high ball hitter. I thought it was the other way around. And so a lot of that, I feel like helps. It, it can help if used correctly just in, in the overall development of the player. And you think some of this stuff is applicable to, let's say, a junior high or high school kid? I think so. I mean, personally, I wouldn't get too overwhelmed with the numbers. I mean, when, when it comes to pitching, obviously velocity is important. Uh, spin rate is, is nice, um, but it's not the be-all, end-all. There are a lot of guys in the big leagues that have decent velo that have far below average spin rate. Um, so I, obviously I think for the pitching side, velo is important. Um, speed is important. 
I mean, if you can run or if you can get faster, keep working on that. I mean, that, that is a, that is an analytical stat. Um, and then an exit velo. Like I, I know a lot of people, I, I go back and forth on this a lot. Like with our website, we get emails and stuff, but like a lot of people want to hit home runs too early. Guys want to like eight year olds are working on launch angle and trying to drive balls into the air. When I think this is my personal opinion, but I think guys need to work on how many times can you put the barrel on the baseball, hit the ball hard. And then as you start to learn your swing and learn how to hit the ball, now we can start to make small, subtle little changes, maybe to get more elevation, to try to drive the ball more. Um, I mean, I always look at like Christian Yelich. I mean, I actually had this written down, but Christian Yelich in 2015, that's not that long ago, 2015, he's always been a really good hitter, right? He had 300 batting average, which I don't know what a lot of people think about that. But for me, I still think in batting averages. And for me, it's a starting point. So it's not like it's the be all end all or whatever. Like I like Woba. I like all this other stuff. But for me, like I grew up with, um, with batting average. So me, that's a good place to start. So anyway, 300 batting average, but he only hit, he only hit seven homers in 2015, but he learned how to, I mean, he's constantly improving and working on his swing 2019 he hit 44 homers like guys that usually hit for average or can put the barrel on the baseball will develop power guys that have power early on that are big swing and miss guys usually fizzle out they usually do not become hitters usually become a hitter first that develops power but guys that try to develop power and then become hitters it usually doesn't work that way yeah, you know, that makes me think of our conversation earlier about really understanding who you are as a player and, and what makes you tick, what what's going to make you good and how you're going to develop. And, um, you know, I think one of the things that's really important for players nowadays, there's so much information out there, uh, is just having a good filter. And again, you know, it's a buffet of information and you take what works well for you and you uh, you leave the rest. Um, but you mentioned your website, so I want to use that as a point to transition to talk a little bit about uh, PBI, which is a great organization that you've created with your wife to uh, take all the knowledge and all the information and all the um, connections that you've made throughout your professional baseball career and use that as a way to give back, give this information back to the next generation of ball players, which I think is just fantastic. The website is full of great uh, free information for youth ball players. So tell us a little bit about PBI. What is, uh, what is the organization and what's the mission? Yeah. ProBaseballInsider.com. Uh, that's our, that's our website. We started back in 2011 and it kind of started by accident. Really. Um, I was a utility infielder. Um, I remember going into spring training and spring training was always kind of a, a, not a stressful time, but there was a lot of information running in my head when it comes to spring training, like I was playing third, short, second, first, uh, bunt plays, cutoffs and relays, um, you know, pickoffs, all these different things, understanding the signs from the catchers, all this. So there was a lot, there was a flood of information happening within about a week. So I remember I'd write all this stuff down and my, my wife was looking at it and she noticed that like a lot of, for example, the cuts and relays were kind of, they were all fairly similar, but there was some small, subtle differences from organization to organization. And so she was like, well, why don't we just write something like this? That's, you know, that, that's pretty typical. That isn't going to give away any secrets, but like, what if we like wrote some of this stuff down? So some of like, you know, the, the youth kids or coaches could benefit from this. Right. 
I'm like, wow, that's a pretty good idea. So it started off as a journal. We just started to put things up online about, okay, this is how you do a cutoff and relay. This is how you throw a baseball. This is how you hit. And then as the years went on, guys that I've played with, played against, worked out with, I would just ask them for, hey, man, you're a good base stealer. Can you give me three, what are three tips that you, you know, when you're trying to steal bases? And so it just developed into a, a free platform of, you know, from professional players and coaches on how to do certain things, you know? Um, and so we have, we have a whole lot of resources in there now. I mean, it's just a collection of, you know, nine years now, I guess, of just, you know, small little articles here and there on how to do things. And uh, yeah, so it's been really cool. I feel like I've learned a lot because I kind of like stay in my own zone of like hitting and infield and stuff. But then I talk to pitchers on that. How do you throw a slider? How do you do this? Or how'd you improve your curveball? It's like, wow, that's kind of cool. I never even thought about that. And so a lot of that stuff is on our, is on our website. And um, yeah, so it's been, it's, it's been a really fun thing for me. And, uh, and yeah. And so we, we, we communicate a lot of people with, with emails and with, with through our, our website and everything, but our goal was to keep uh, all the resources on the website free. Very cool. Obviously in line with what we're doing at Keep Playing Baseball, and we've been able to collaborate here, which we really appreciate and appreciate your support. Yeah. But check it out, guys, for the cost of the email, your email address. <laughs> oh, and you don't even, yeah, and you don't even need to do that either. It's just that's, that's how we like kind of like to communicate. But like, so if, if you don't want to sign up for another email list, I get that. But there's a lot of resources on the website. So check it out. As a su subscriber to the email list, I would suggest doing that because you guys are constantly blasting out free content. Um, don't want to keep you here all day. I know we've been going for about an hour here. I have a few more questions that we like to ask. Um, if you were a major league baseball commissioner for a day, what what would you do? Whew. That's a tough one. Um, that's, let me start off by saying that's a really difficult job and that is a job that I would not want. So, <laughs> I mean, I actually don't know. I don't really follow like what, what he's doing a whole lot or, you know, what the commissioner's doing. Um, you know, I, I hope we can get baseball back at some point, but I know not all of it is in his hands. To be honest, I don't really know what I would do. Um, I love baseball and I just feel like that's a job in baseball that I really would not like. <laughs> it just, it's, it's a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of eyes from a whole bunch of different perspectives looking at you and, and want you to make decisions. And I just think it'd be a tough spot to be in. And um, so personally, I think I like being a little bit closer to the field than, uh, than he is. I can respect that. I can appreciate that. <laughs> um, one, one question we ask every guest on this show because we got a lot of high school baseball players who want to play at the next level listening. If you had one piece of advice to give them, what would it be? Um, I would say do what you love and don't regret Just don't regret what you put into it. So be like, um, know how much work that you need to put into it. And be happy with the work that you put into it every single day. Um, I think that's really important. I, I think another thing that's important is to not have your identity in the sport. Um, baseball, like I said, is so up and down, so roller coasterish, right? Know what your priorities are, right? And and just know that you're not, you know, 
Doug, the baseball player or this or that you're, 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 you're Doug or you're Johnny or who you're, whoever that plays baseball. Right. And when I actually got to that point, I feel like the game mentally became a lot easier, a lot simpler, trying to ride that roller coaster, right? You go four for four and man, you're having a great time. You're, you know, you're in the best mood. Everything is good. And then the next day you're zero for four and you're miserable. No one wants to be around you. Like just, and it's easy to happen. Like it, it can happen really quickly where all of a sudden you're just, you're riding that wave and it, it takes a toll on you mentally. So if you are, haven't really reached that point yet, understand that it could happen and it could happen fast. So like another, I think another thing is just, just don't have your identity in the game. Just have it be something that you're passionate about doing and that, um, and you got to put all your effort in. And then once you leave the field, just be like, Hey, we got a new day tomorrow, you know? So I don't know. I guess those are a couple things that, that I have. Really good advice. Um, now I probably could have used this last question for, for, uh, the last one, but we always end with uh, open mic or a mic drop as we like to call it. So you get a chance to address a bunch of passionate baseball players and parents out there. Is there anything that we missed? Is there anything that you want them to know? advice, inspiration, just way for you to mic drop your way off the uh, <laughs> podcast. I, I just going to say, man, if you enjoy playing baseball, play hard, have fun, play with effort. That goes such a long way. Um, also be a well-rounded individual. Like don't just be a baseball player, like be a good student, be a good person. Like I feel like that stuff goes such a long way. Like I remember we, we'd have these meetings, even when I was in, even when I was in the big leagues and we'd have guys come in all the time and talk to all the players and they're like, you're going to be a non-player a lot longer than you are a player. So use baseball as like, it's like light. You're, you're able to gain so many life skills from baseball, right? Learning how to deal with teammates and players and coaches and, um, you know, dealing with fans and making mistakes, like playing well, playing poorly, like doing, there's so many things that we can like, use from this game to just be better people like just in life and just be able to work on life skills. So I, I would say like, like, don't, don't just be a baseball player, be a well-rounded in, individual. And um, I, I think, I think that's something that even when you're done playing baseball, hopefully, you know, everyone that's watching can play baseball for as long as they want. But at some point we're not going to be baseball players anymore, right? We're going to be like you and me, we're on this side of it. And I think it's important to be able to use the skills that baseball presents um, to just be a well-rounded individual. Awesome. Well, we've been with Doug Bernier, former Major League Baseball player, current coach with the Colorado Rockies. Doug, really appreciate you coming on and uh, sharing your knowledge with, with our audience. There's a lot they're going to take away from this. Uh, well, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. And uh, yeah, it was, it, was a, it was a fun time. I appreciate it. Thanks for making it to the end of this episode of the KPB podcast. If you find value in our podcast, please help us make it better. Subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. Leave us a five-star rating. Write a review. All of that helps us get this information into the hands of those who need it most. We're always beyond excited to get questions and provide more information, you can reach us by email at keepplayingbaseball at gmail.com. 
Our Twitter DMs are open. That's at KeepPlayingBB. Same is true for our Instagram account. That's at KeepPlayingBaseball. And Facebook, KeepPlayingBaseball. We're always excited to help provide you with the information that you need to make educated decisions in the recruiting process and move towards your goal of playing college baseball. Don't hesitate to reach out if you need anything. And we'll be back with another episode soon. Until then, take care.